Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Mr. Gadget, uh, and I'm calling in my first show for the year of our Lord, 2012, the year, of course, of the apocalypse. So, uh, and in keeping with the whole uh, Mayan apocalypse, uh, apocalyptic year theme, uh, I am going to do my first in at least two, maybe three or four, uh, different episodes in a series. Now, speaking of series, I look out there on the calendar, and everybody is responding so, so well to the better pleas from other people within the HBR organization, including the inestimable Ken Fallon, but also to my, uh, you know, kind of challenges out there to uh, get more new shows on there. So it looks to me like I'm not even going to have a slot to have the show be heard until well into January, and good on everybody who's doing that. Now, your goal is not only to call in a show, but for everybody together to keep on calling in new shows so that I am lucky to get in once a month, all right? That's really honestly what I want. I want to hear lots of different shows this year and throughout the year. We need to keep this up. So, good on everybody. Keep it up. So, as I mentioned, the apocalyptic year, and I apologize for background sounds, I'm going to be driving and even uh, visiting the recycle center and uh, loading various uh, cans, bottles, and such at the recycle First day with a new tongue. Recycle center, as we talk here this afternoon. Uh, so, apocalyptic year 2012, and in keeping with that notion, I am going to entitle this episode... Heresies in the Year of the Apocalypse, Episode 1. And this particular heresy is about computer languages. Now, I've mentioned before in some other episodes uh, that uh, I started way back at the very start of the microcomputer revolution, and I have written programs. In fact, I've even written programs for a living. Now, back when I wrote programs for a living, I'm not even sure the term developer had been developed yet. Uh, I'm not even sure that anybody would use the term developer back then, uh, but uh, I, I taught myself programming on my first little microcomputer that didn't even have an assembler and didn't even have a terminal hooked up to it. I was hex pad keying in machine code, uh, and I went on to teach myself you know, languages that were available on the microcomputers back then, and as I say, ended up making a living at that. Uh, so, yes, I am a music major, which I've also explained before kind of how that worked, why a music major has become a technologist and has made his living with microcomputers and other various computer systems for low these 30-some-odd years. And so, like I say, I used to actually write programs for a living. Now, Back in the day, all you had was machine code, right? There wasn't even assemblers. And then eventually assemblers got developed. The really first high-level language was COBOL, believe it or not. Uh, and I believe the equally inestimable Grace Hopper, who if you do not know who Grace Hopper is and you are a technologist, male or female, you need to stop now if you are in a position to stop and Google something, not while you're driving, please, 
And you need to Google Grace Hopper and find out more about this lady. She is really a, an amazing story. And I believe Grace was part of the committee. There was a committee who invented COBOL. Now, uh, there's an old joke <laughs> that uh, says, okay, what's the difference between a horse and a camel? And uh, the punchline is a camel is a horse designed by committee. And probably through the years, you know, a lot of the issues with COBOL may have been because of certain kinds of, you know, decisions that were made that were made by committee. Lo and behold, as we go along here, we've had several languages, and we continue now to this day to have several languages that have benevolent dictators for life. Uh, they have someone who started out with the development of the language and still has the final say on what it is that's going on in terms of that language, and have benefited, I think, probably, for that single-minded vision. Same thing with the whole Steve Jobs single-minded vision thing, right? Uh, but COBOL was a high-level language, and I can't remember what the first O was, but it, I think it's just CO for common. And if I'm remembering right, COBOL stands for Common Business-Oriented Language. And when you think about it, it was a language that really did allow for a lot of business-oriented programming, lots of mathematical calculations, crunching of numbers, et cetera, et cetera, keeping track of inventories, et cetera, that businesses needed to have done on their you know, big computers that they had spent lots of money on. And it was much more productive to have the programmer write programs in COBOL. It was also more uh, standardized, and uh, you could maintain that over time without a lot of study and, and everything like that of the machine language or even assembly language code. And the company I work for has a lot of COBOL code, legacy COBOL code that's uh, been around since before I was even programming computers. And the start of that co start of the company was in '69. And there's lots of COBOL code that's been maintained by four or five, six, maybe even ten people. It's been handed down to, handed down to, uh, on the matrix. So that was more productive. It was more productive for the uh, programming to be done there in that higher level language. Now. When they initially wrote, and this is an interesting uh, question about the whole uh, Kerrigan and Ritchie, you know, and, and Mr. Ritchie, of course, recently passed away about the same time, a little bit after Mr. Jobs. And uh, a lot of people have actually been getting the chronology slightly wrong, okay? When they first wrote uh, the Unix operating system on the PDP uh, machine that they had access to, right, at Bell Labs, they actually wrote it in assembly language, okay? C did not exist. C came after uh, Unix, right? Unix was originally written in the PDP assembly language, and if you know anything about assembly language, if you've ever done anything, assembly language is basically just uh, a little bit better version than having to know all the machine codes, right? But it's very specific to the architecture. And so they wrote it for whatever that PDP was, a five or six, I forget, uh, the one they had access to first. And then they ported it to other PDP machines, which were very similar but not exactly the same. So then they had to take their assembly language code and they had to rewrite it. 
so that we compile on this other machine and talk to the reports and all this kind of thing. Well, after about the second or third time of doing this, they decided this is way too much work. We need to invent a language that makes it easier for us, and we'll rewrite the code into that language so that it will make it easier for us to port it over to these other machines we have to deal with. And thusly, they came up with this idea of inventing this language that we all know as C. And so I have always maintained that since I was around when all this first happened and uh, was at least paying attention to all these kinds of things that were related to this, and uh, this might get a little loud because we're in the glass portion of our recycling here, and they're full, so I'm going to have to kind of throw them into the bin. I'm sure that sounds just lovely, plus the motion of the air across the microphone is making this very, very listenable. Uh, so essentially, C is universal assembly language, right? C is essentially really low level, but allows you to write... Okay, that's a lot of sparks. Uh, allows you to write a program that is going to be extremely efficient and really, really almost as good as being down there at the assembly level. Now, assembly level, assembly language programmers can argue with me, could be yelling <laughs> at their MP3 players at this point. Man, you have it totally wrong. If I have it totally wrong, call in an episode and explain to me why I'm wrong, okay? Essentially, it's universal assembly language, and all you have to do is write a little bit of libraries in the actual assembly language of that machine, and you're up and running, right? Because then all the other languages are actually written in C, and by, by the time you have your basics, basics started, then you can go on with the uh, other kinds of things related to C can actually be kind of, you know, written in C, the, the libraries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it is efficient, and it's very, very portable. I mentioned earlier, and I'll state it again. Back in this time frame, and I didn't hear about the software freedoms until well after uh, this time frame, or the time frame even that he, he actually wrote them. But I heard a lot about portable code, okay? Uh, there was a lot of portable code back then. I didn't hear about free, and I didn't hear about open, right? And open really didn't get invented until later. So we have this kind of universal assembly language. Now, let's fast forward, shall we? I'll admittedly tell you that I've never, well, I attempted to teach myself C, and I attempted to uh, start down the C path, and this was at a point where I had actually made the decision that took me off the path of, of making a living full-time as a, a programmer and rather using other you know, uh, using those technical skills to help support and, uh, and you know, work in the technology field, uh, training people on things, consulting people on things, and things like that, but not actually writing the code. But I, I did at a certain point and uh, had a, a job full-time where I was a porting engineer. So I wasn't actually writing the C code, but I was looking at other people's C code and 
modifying it slightly to run on the other machine, fixing errors that were uh, related to the particular kinds of things that I was in charge of trying to, you know, keep track of, things like that. So I've done a lot of porting, compiling, you know, of somebody else's C uh, code. I, whenever I tried to learn C, I always was going along at about 75 or 80 miles an hour. Sorry, don't know the offhand what that is in kilometers uh, per hour. But I was going along at a very nice, you know, furlongs per fortnight pace, and I would see up in the distance the wall that is pointers. And I'd always hit that wall <laughs> and never break through. I just never got pointers, and thusly, uh, you know, C was probably not the language for me, right? Because pretty soon you end up dealing with pointers one way or another, and that just somehow my mind just didn't wrap around pointers. If anybody's got a great tip for me on <laughs> what it is I should do, be sure to call in or leave me email, right? HPR at Mr. Gadgets. That's plural. M R G A D G E T S dot com. Okay? Uh, so, I modified some C code. I ported C code. Uh, but I've never written anything except a very kind of basic, basic, simple, you know, Kerrigan and C, <laughs> Kerrigan and Richie C program book, you know, first few chapters kind of program on my own. And thusly, I am not well-versed in the whole aspect of object-oriented kinds of things, so I couldn't tell you exactly what the differences are or the fine uh, kinds of uh, reasons why of Objective-C as opposed to C++ or any of those kinds of things. I do, you know, understand the concept, of course, of it's not just about, you know, functions that you call and things like that. It's about methods, right, that can affect the uh, object that you're talking about, whether that object is and, uh, whether that object is a string or uh, an array or, you know, whatever it is. And so, you know, I get that, all the concepts of it, but I never dealt with any auditorium kind of stuff. So feel free to call in an episode to explain to me all and all of the HBR listeners who may not really understand what is it about object-oriented makes the improvements to see that fixes everything that I'm talking about here. But we have this object-oriented version of C, whether it is C++, which is the most common and uh, popular, I think, or we have C Sharp, uh, which is specific to Microsoft, of course, which is oriented towards the .NET framework, and uh, not limited to that because there's the Mono Project, which has its detractors and its supporters, right? Uh, I'm porting that to other non-Microsoft.NET kind of environments. And then we have Objective-C, which is, of course, the particular version that you use if you are an Apple developer, right? And I know people are going to scream bloody murder when I make the next statement. They're all variations on the same theme, right? They're always they're all adding some form of their own particular brand of object-oriented programming practices to the basic underlying C language. How much more higher level 
and how much more efficient is that in terms of writing programs. In the modern world here, and I've made a decision in 2012 is really going to be just in time for the end of the world, I really am going to uh, teach myself uh, another programming language to be able to just hack together some stuff that I want to do, maybe contribute to an open source project that uses it. And I, I've been doing a lot of research on different languages. What's the best one to learn? And I think probably I'm going to settle on Python. And the reason I'm going to settle on Python is I really think, and I don't know whether I'm going to get my 10,000 hours in, right? But to be really good, you have to set yourself and you have to practice that over and over again. And I just don't think that I have enough time left and spare time, because it's not my job, to dedicate to trying to get at least reasonably good at any more than just one language. And with Python, I get everything I want to do, right? I can script with Python. I can write GUIs with Python, regular programs and things like that. I can use Python with Django. That's a particular framework I'm going to choose. And mostly it's because Django actually was written originally for, I believe, Lawrence Journal World in Lawrence, Kansas, which is about 40 miles away from Kansas City. So it's kind of a local thing, you know, that I picked that one. Seems to be very popular. The other reason why I'm choosing Python is because there's lots and lots of resources for it. There's lots and lots of libraries for it. So I think it's going to leverage best for all the different things that I might possibly want to do with it. But I've been looking, as I say, into other languages. Now, one of the things that caught my eye, and one of the things I like about Python is it is a scripting language, so there's that interactive thing, so it's going to be easier for me to learn, right, because of that interpreter kind of thing. And I don't really think that the it not being compiled uh, situation is really going to affect me. And if it really does, and it's really my own project, I can figure out where that performance boost is needed and have somebody rewrite that into C, right? That's the common kind of thing with a lot of these scripting languages. It's fast enough for 98, 99%, and then that last little percentage, you can always write that in C. I was interested, though, in the, the syntactical basis of it also. The, the things that I have read about Python and the little bit that I've learned so far, it seems to be that you can write fewer lines of code, and they are A, very much clearly stating they're easy to for you to understand what the program is doing, kind of self-documenting, if you will, right? I specifically, I hate to, you know, uh, start a religious war here. I specifically am not going to use Perl because there are so many cool things and different ways to do it with Perl. I don't want a language where there's 18 different ways to do something. I want, a lang I want a language where there's kind of one way to do it and it's consistent. Now, call me stupid, but elegant code is not what I'm after here. Maintainable code, easy to understand code, and code that I can leverage a little bit of time to write it and get a lot of stuff done. That's the things that I'm interested in here. And I know I'm starting a big old long discussion, and I encourage you, call in shows and tell me why I'm wrong about Perl. And why, I mean, I understand the whole thing about elegance, but sometimes ugly code that everybody can understand and fix is better than elegant code that only the guy who wrote it can really understand what he's doing. 
and I know this from experience, okay? So I started to really explore, weigh in and tell me why I'm wrong, okay? So I want something that I can leverage what limited time I have, because this is a, a pursuit that I'm pursuing, you know, with my spare time mostly, uh, and uh, and leverage the amount of things I can accomplish. But that's not untrue of most every project that's out there. Who has all the time in the world to work on a project? The world's problems that can be fixed through a you know computer program are not such that we have all the time in the world, and sometimes getting to run fast as possible in the C version isn't really what's important. The slower, maybe even you could argue uglier interpreted code in the simpler language will accomplish what we need and we're done. And if we need to fix it later, we won't have to go back to the original guy who wrote it because he's the only one who can figure out, oh man, I did 17 things on this one line of code, okay? I know I'm overstating that. So one of the things that I, I ran into along the way in terms of the syntax and everything, and, you know, I don't have a curly brace <coughs> aversion. I, I'm not pro curly braces. I'm not anti curly braces. I never learned lists because of all the parentheses. That did seem a little strange to me. But, uh, you know, the curly brace thing, you know, I don't have a problem with the whole white space indentation. I'm going to indent it anyway. So it does kind of make sense to me that, yeah, if I'm intending it anyway to make it readable, why not just have that be, you know, what it is? I know a lot of people think that that's just craziness, you know, but it seems to make sense to me. I ran into Vala and Genie, which is a particular kind of pre-interpreter, I guess, or something like that. Anyway, Genie is to Vala what? Python is to C, I guess. All right, so uh, Python is interpreting to uh, Python is using an interpreter, right? But Python is a syntax, and ultimately it ends up being, you know, C code. There's it's Python C. I, it's okay. I, I give up that. That's not an analogy. Okay, uh, that's not true. Uh, but what it is is. Genie is a very Python-like syntax that uses white space for indentation and allows you to uh, have the same kind of things that you get out of uh, a Python kind of code writing experience, right? A, a lot of productivity out of it, fewer lines of code to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish uh, as opposed to the equivalent uh, in the case of Python C, a language that you would write. The relationship, though, between Genie and Vala is Genie is actually something that compiles down into Vala code, and then Vala is its own object-oriented compiled language, right? And it basically, you write Vala code in that object-oriented Vala kind of uh, syntax, and it compiles to C that will compile with the GCC compiler. So Vala is already a higher level language, and at least from my perspective, a little bit more productive, better syntax than 
my understanding of Objective-C or C++ or C-sharp. I may be wrong. Explain to me why I'm wrong in a show. So Vala has, you know, that kind of efficiency of being able to not be quite as low level as C, the universal assembly language. It's a higher level language that compiles down to C, and every machine has a C compiler, and then you compile it to the machine language of the machine, and you leverage off of the people who work on the GCC compiler who get it running on that machine and deal with the machine level things, and you have a universal higher level language here, VALA. Now, is that exactly what Objective-C does? Am I missing something with Objective-C? Am I missing something with C++? that, hey, just learn C++ because that's exactly what it does. Uh, what I'm saying here is, why don't we have things that have this Python-like C, Python-like, you know, syntax that makes it easier to write programs with fewer lines of code and then have that compile to some intermediate thing like the C++ compiler, and then the C++ compiler compiles it for the individual machine. Or take the same route that the Genie Vala thing does, right? Don't want to write it at the level of Vala, want to write it at the even higher level of Genie, write the Genie code, compile it to Vala, tweak some stuff at Vala, take the Vala code, compile it to C, tweak some stuff if you need at C, in my mind, there's no reason why some of these things that are quote-unquote scripting languages in terms of their syntax and their implementation couldn't go on a similar path. I guess what I mean, the reason I'm going with Python is because of the huge amount of libraries that are available in Python. And the whole Genie and Vala thing is still uh, at its initial stages and doesn't have as much code that I can leverage off of. But why isn't there a thing that I can take my Python code, do all my development in that, and then take that same exact Python syntax and in a similar way either compile it down to an interim step and then to C code or just compile from the Python syntax directly into a uh, bit of C code that I can then run through my GCC compiler and run as, as efficiently as possible on that is, is that actual machine. What's wrong with this idea? Why are we still writing programs with a language that was written 30 some odd years ago? Nothing against Mr. Kerrigan and Mr. Ritchie, but did they really write the perfect language? Should we still be writing everything in universal assembly language? Now you're gonna argue with me, we're not, we're using C++ code, right? Explain to me what, how high a level that language is. Because I'll state it now, and I've stated it the entire last 30 years. C is not a high-level language. I mean, it's a high-level language in that it's above assembly code. But C and COBOL are not equal levels in their height. Does that make sense? Why are we still using things that are still almost down there at the bare metal level? unless it's a situation where we absolutely have to. And why aren't we taking some of these things that are easier for people to understand and get involved with programming and 
get them into efficient compiled versions of those equivalent uh, sets of code. And I know in the interpreted side, Python isn't typed and it doesn't, you know, doesn't actually check these things until it runs. Okay? Who's to say you can't have a typed version of that? If you write the right code, typing, having strict typing or not having strict typing in your Python code shouldn't make a difference. Explain to me why I'm wrong here. But my heresy is we're still writing code in too low a level, and what we need to do is take some of these ideas from these more productive, simpler syntax to get more done scripting languages, and we start. We need to start thinking about that in this whole Genie, Vala, GCC compiler kind of relationship. We need to start thinking about doing that because we don't have enough programmers, people. We do not have enough people out there who can understand to write the underlying C code. We don't have enough people who can understand, and not everybody can be a computer programmer. I'll readily admit that. But a lot more people could be writing productive code if we had a more efficient language that they could use to develop that code and a way to compile that. Now, I have looked into some things where, there, you know, the Python, there are some things that will do this kind of thing, but I don't know what kind of support those have. And I'll report back if I find something pleasant to report in regard to doing that kind of thing. What kind of things out there are, what am I missing? What's that high-level language that has that magical crossover of the simplicity of the syntax and productivity of the syntax of the scripting language, but compiles down into efficient code, either automatically or there are ways to do it? Because I've been doing research and I haven't found any obvious signs of what's out there to do that. So with that, that's end of heresies in the year of the apocalypse, episode one. Why are we still writing universal assembly language that's 30 years plus old? This is Mr. Gadgets, wishing you a happy new year and a safe and prosperous one. And we'll talk to you next time, maybe even next month. Bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All Binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.